Today is our second week in the sermon series leading up to Easter, and we're going through Isaiah 53, which is um, the fourth of what you find in Isaiah called the Servant Songs. And last week we talked about the incarnation of Jesus, which simply means that, that God became flesh and dwelt among us, that he didn't stay far away, but he came close. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about the identification of Jesus with us, which, um, in a lot of ways, as I studied, made me feel very uncomfortable, because the way Jesus chooses to identify with us, um, I think, is more honest than we'd like to be about how we need to be identified with. So... um, so I just ask you guys to, um, to be equally as vulnerable with, with God as he is with you, as you see in, in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Um, setting for this, the first example I thought of um, in identification and, and how we... Um, in identification, I think Jesus addresses our greatest fears is uh, a popular form of entertainment through the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s, which was something called freak shows. Um, in America and Europe, they had these shows that, that would um, put on um, the stage people with abnormalities, whether that was um, the way they were shaped or because uh, how much hair they had, how big or how small they were. And people would would come to these shows, they would pay money just to watch these people, to be in horror that, that someone could look like that. Um, in Europe, one of the most popular shows was of a, a man named the Elephant Man. Um, his name was, was Joseph Merrick, and um, he was born in 1862 to a family... Um, his mother loved him. His father didn't exactly know what to do with him. And his mother passed away when he was very young. And after his father remarried, um, Joseph became an outcast, uh, even within his own home. Um, soon, his abnormality grew to that which he couldn't work anymore. Um, he had these, these growths on his body that, that looked like warts, but they, they grew very large. And so... Um, he, he lost the ability to walk or to, to move or even speak very clearly. Um, after a while, the only way he could make money was to become a part of this, one of these freak shows where he was introduced as half man and, and half elephant. Um, after a while, a, a surgeon from a local hospital came and, and visited and, and requested that... Um, that Joseph would come to the hospital. Um, by that time, um, he was described by uh, this doctor whose name was Frederick uh, Treves. He says his first impression of, of Joseph was this. He says, the most disgusting specimen of humanity that I had ever seen. At no time had I met with such a degraded and perverted version of a human being. Because of these masses on his body, uh, gone, they had gone unwa- unwashed for so long, there was not only this deformity that they looked at, but there was also this incredibly strong odor that made people not want to be around him. Um, after they would brought him to the hospital and actually began getting to know him and, and 
understanding him, um, they found that Joseph was incredibly tender, uh, a very emotional person. And, uh, and they learned things about him. One of the things they learned about him that he had never, he had never actually spent time with a woman just to, to get to know her because there was such horror every time they looked at him. So, so the doctor had a friend, um, and she came to visit him. And, and what it says is, um, it says the meeting was short, and Joseph was obviously overwhelmed by emotion, so it couldn't be a long meeting. He later told the doctor that this was the first woman to ever smile at him or shake his hand. Um, he died at the age of 28, and the way he died was this. He had to, to sleep his whole life by, um, by sitting down and resting his head on his knees. So he always had to, to sleep uh, sitting up. And, and the way he passed away, it says, He often said to me that he wished he could lie down to sleep, quote, like other people. He must, with some determination, have made the experiment, says the doctor. Thus it came about that his death was due to the desire that dominated his life, the pathetic but hopeless desire to be like other people. He had, he had laid himself down to sleep, and because of the weight of his head, it had dislocated his neck. Um, this is, for us, our greatest fear, I think. Um, people have a lot of fears, but I think the thing that dominates so many people is the desire to be like other people. And this is obviously um, exaggerated, not in the terms of being exaggerated to untruth, because this is a very truthful story, but it's exaggerated for us because I don't think any of us think that that possibly could be the way that we were, we were outcast to that extent. Um, a hero of mine is a guy named, by the name of Jean Vanier, and, and a couple of us went through a book this week, um, the book's called From Brokenness to Community. And he, he spent his life with, with people with various forms of special needs. And, and he says this. He says, For 25 years now, I've had the privilege of living with men and women with disabilities. I have discovered that even though a person may have severe brain damage, that is not the source of his or her greatest pain. The greatest pain is rejection, the feeling that nobody really wants me like that. The feeling that you are, are so ugly, dirty, or a burden and of no value. That is the pain I've discovered in the hearts of these people. Um, the reason why I start this way in talking about Jesus' identification with us um, is because, again, I think it exposes something in us, which is our greatest fear, um, the extent to which Jesus would actually uh, choose to identify with us. Because in, in a variety of ways, in a variety of forms, I think, um, I think we set out to make ourselves more appealing or attractive, thinking that if we were not like this, then maybe someone would like us or like us more. Somehow we could be better. And, and we do that in a variety of ways. And, and rather than let it be general, I thought I'd, I'd share two for myself. I... Um, I have experienced this in a lot of ways personally, um, in ways that I don't think anyone even in this church would, would think, um, both, you know, being in high school. And I remember, having, I remember very keenly having a conversation with, um, with someone when I was 15 about having no friends and how I just didn't have any friends. Um, even bringing it closer than that, this last year, last two years, I've had the experience of having Invisalign, some invisible braces, 
You guys can't see them. I actually have them in right now. And, and if <laughs> one of the reasons why, why I did that was I have really bad TMJ. But another reason is I grew up and my teeth were crooked. Um, and and I, I think this is a very general experience for a lot of us is, is there's something about us that, that we want change because if we had it changed, then, then somehow we would be more attractive. Because I found growing up having crooked teeth, I became less and less confident uh, with the way I would smile. Right? Isn't that wild? And, and like, I'm being super vulnerable with you guys. Like, that's just honest. I remember a year ago, my sister-in-law was like, uh, why did you get braces? Because it's obviously not like cosmetic for you. And I didn't want to admit that it was. <laughs> I didn't want to admit like that actually was a desire I had, was, was to do something that would... And not, not that that's bad, but I, people think of themselves in such a way that I've, I've even heard it. Like, unless I get this done, then I'm like a freak show, right? Because then someone will look at me as if I'm odd or as if I'm strange. I would be outcast. And, and sadly, unfortunately, I think even in the church, we haven't done a good job at all at breaking that stereotype. Um, a good example is this. I get this, this Christian magazine, not anymore, actually. I just canceled the subscription like a month ago. But, um, uh, <laughs> and I did because it, a couple of things made me really dissatisfied by it. And one of it is it, it was so glossy and beautiful. Like, like, it was very unrealistic. I, I opened it up, and it was supposed to be something encouraging me in my faith, but it was all just so, like, everything was hyper-attractive, right? And that's just not real. And, and, and yet, that's also what we sell. You know, if you watch a movie about Jesus, you're not seeing Jesus like he's described in the Bible. And, and that's what we're going to look at here because what we want is we want Jesus to be in, and we want Jesus to be cool, and, and something that people aren't appalled by when they first look at him. But, but what we read in the scripture is something very different. And that's what we're going to look at today, Jesus who identified with us, with our greatest fears, and I think took them to an extreme level. If you are with me in Isaiah 52 and 53. Um, we're going to start actually in 52 verses 13 and then go to 53 verse 2. And this is what it, it reads. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. From those verses um, and the other servant songs, we're going to look at a couple things about Jesus. A Jesus that, that maybe we haven't met before. Um, 
a Jesus that uh, is hard to look at because I think he's a, a Jesus who identifies so much with maybe parts of us that we don't want seen or known, that we avoid it. Um, the first is we meet a Jesus, the Jesus of weakness. The Jesus of weakness you see throughout all the, the servant songs. Um, I'm just going to read you the four servant songs that are in Isaiah, and I'm just going to read portions of, portions of them for you. I'm not going to ask you to, to turn there yourself, but to listen very closely so you can hear the way that the Bible is describing what the Savior would be and what the Savior of the world would look like. The first is in Isaiah 42. I'm just going to read 1 through 4. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Isn't this beautiful? (laughs) This mighty Savior who would come, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In Isaiah 49, uh, looking at verses 8 through 10, it reads like this. This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I, will, favor, I will answer you, and in the day of my salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance, to say to the captives, Come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pastures on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside the springs of water. Right, again, this view of like so many who can relate with maybe the unrelenting heat of the sun, right? Be that actually the sun or the unrelenting abuse of life or things in life upon you. And it says that he will come and have compassion and guide them by springs of water. That's who our Savior will be. In chapter 50, looking at verses 4 through 9, this is, an, this is incredible, thinking of Jesus in this way. It says, The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the words that sustain the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like the one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. And I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered, listen to this, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will charge, make charge against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moss will eat them up. 
this is an incredible vision of God. Uh, that our Savior would come and say, I offer, like, in prediction of what it would be like for him, he says, I will offer my back to the one who beats me. I'll offer my cheek to the one who will pull out my beard. And so we find in this Jesus of, of weakness who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have a Jesus who in his leadership says, when you come to uh, a feast, choose the last place. Don't choose the first place. This, the, a willingness on his part to identify not with dominion and power in this way, but he redefines power as the ability not to exert force over people, but the ability to serve people. That, that is what we see in Jesus accepting our weakness. Is that beautiful to you? Or is that terrifying to you? And, and I think, on, on one hand, we just want to be like, that's, that's gorgeous. <laughs> but on another hand, we're, I think what we want is, in our weakness, we want, we want to, or we spend so much time trying to, to gain power or to gain authority in some way that we can then look down on someone else and realize, I'm thankful I'm not in that place anymore. And Jesus does the opposite. That's who Jesus is. That's who our Savior is. The second thing is this, that we not only have a Jesus who accepted the lowest place, but a Jesus who is undesirable. Um, We see that here in Isaiah 52 and 53. And and I want you just to, to hear this again. In Isaiah 52, verses 14, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him... His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form so marred beyond human likeness. In 53.2 it says, He has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So what does it mean for us to have a Savior who... If we met him, we wouldn't, we wouldn't desire him, necessarily. We wouldn't think, this is someone who, I, man, immediately, like, I want that guy to take pictures with me, or <laughs> whatever it is. Th- that is our Savior, and, and I, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever seen this reconciled in the life of a Christian. Because and, and, we see this even in, in portrayals of Jesus. Be that pictures, be that movies, whatever it is. We, we want a Jesus who when we look at him, we're not offended by him. And yet, everything here points to Jesus that maybe your first impression wouldn't be a positive one. Because the way he looked, or where he came from. And if you remember where he came from, he said he came from Nazareth, which was a place when people heard he came from there. What did they say? They were like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Like, Jesus came from a place that people were like, no, that's just a bad place with bad people. 
and it doesn't produce anything good. And, th- and that's where Jesus came from. So, Jesus, who is defined by the lowest place, Jesus, who is defined by being undesirable, and Jesus defined by weakness. In Hebrews 4, we learn that it says, um, we don't have a high priest who, who went through the heavens and won salvation for us, but can't identify with us. But it says, he made himself weak in such a way that, that he can sympathize with all our weakness. With all of our weakness. And, I, and as I thought through that, I don't... Again, I don't know if I've ever really seen Jesus as actually identifying with me or just, or just offering, like, when I get to a certain place, then, then I can identify with Jesus, right? Always being other, always being separate. But, but in this, it makes Jesus such that there is nothing that goes on in my life where Jesus isn't intimately familiar with that. And we kick against that in such a way that um, there's even these attempts that I've seen in in the church to make Jesus um, like the dude. I don't don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Um, I actually heard a pastor, as a pastor once said, like, I wouldn't, um, I would never put my trust in in a man that couldn't beat me up. And like, and so what he was trying to prove is like Jesus is a super tough dude, and and like, and so Jesus could like exert himself on people, like influence people because like he was tougher than they were. And this isn't the Jesus we see, right? We have a Jesus who it says this. It's wild because what he says is when they're mocking him and calling at him and saying. Uh, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Right? When, they, when they were like, okay, hitting him, they were like, tell us who did that. What Jesus had told me, he's like, I, I could call down legions of angels, but why did he decide not to do that? He decided not to do it because, because he chose the lowest place, the most undesirable place, the place of weakness, to show us ourselves. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you want to look at yourself like that. I don't know if I want to look at myself like that, honestly. The last thing is this, that Jesus, Jesus not only chose the lowest place, the weakest place, the most undesirable place, but he also chose the last place. Um, instead of constantly trying to win, Jesus said really wild things like, those who our last will be first. Jesus said, you know John the Baptist? You know how, how John the Baptist and I got along so well together? He goes, he was the one who is least is greater than John the Baptist. How do, we, how do we understand this kind of Jesus who chose the last place? Who said, when you serve the least of these, when you serve the, the poor and the hungry and those in prison... He goes, that's when you're like maybe closest to me. He goes, when you serve the least of these, you are actually serving me. And as I thought about this, I thought about in what way, how is it possible that the least of those, the poorest, 
the weakest, the most undesirable, could ever call attention to themselves. And I thought of all my trips to Seattle, where, where I met people who were, were this, you know, could visibly be called this, lowest, undesirable, weak. And I thought, how do they try to get my attention? Well, they come up, and they're very, they're very loud usually, and they, they, they ask me for money, and they're getting in my face. And I thought, okay, that, that's hard for me. But I thought, how else will I see them? I mean, think about what having highest position, being most desirable, being strong, being first. Think about what that gets you in this life. Gets you better medical attention for sure. Gets you better housing for sure. Gets you really good food. Gets you a lot of friends. <laughs> That's the place I want to be. And so, so people who are in that position, how do they get the attention of anyone? And, and then if, if I'm honest with myself and I see all the ways that this is me, that I am the person not in first, but how many times I've known that I'm the person in last. I'm not the person who am highest, but I come into a situation and I feel like the lowest, but I try to choose the highest place for myself, right? I come into a situation and all I know, all I see is my weaknesses, but I try to just protrude my strengths so I can be the alpha male in the situation. Whatever I do to do that, what I am doing is separating myself from the ability to see Jesus as Savior because I'm trying to win salvation for myself in some way where I will prove that I am good enough. Jean Vanier, who I quoted earlier, he says this. He says, those who have lived their whole life seeking the first place when they see that Jesus is in the last place will be terribly confused. But those who have lived their whole life in last place when they see Jesus in last place, will hear finally good news. And for so many of us, the gospel isn't good news because we don't want to relate with a Savior like this. Because it exposes deeply what's going on in our own hearts. So what I, want, what I ask us to do, what I want us to do is to, to accept this Savior. Not another one. Not one that just plays to your strengths. And what would that be like? if we stopped trying to attract people by showing our best side and hiding our worst side? What if we, we came to God letting Him see us all without fear that He will reject us? Because He came to identify with that part of you. There's an incredibly different narrative we get comparing what the world tells us and what Jesus tells us. And I want to put these side by side so you can see them. What the world presents to you, what the world offers you, is the ability to be a part of the in crowd if you become 
like them. And this is the hard thing. It says to become like them, but then you will always need more, and you'll always need to prove it in some way. The world says, you can be like me, but you have to, you have to prove it. Jesus says something very different. He says, I became like you in every way so that I can show you the way to be with me. Very different. Jesus says, I became like you in every way so that you can come and be with me. All of you can come and be with me. And that, that, is, that is the good news. That, that is it. And the question is, are we, are we willing to be that with one another? Um, to be with one another. Um, that, that is both a very good place to be as a church, but it's a very scary place to be as a church. Because I'll be honest, like, just as much as you guys don't know how to accept parts of me, that like maybe I don't even know how to share with you. I, I don't. I won't always know how to like be a part of your life. But I think as as we hear Jesus, who says, yeah, "I came, I came to be a part of every, every part of your life and, and come." And remember, it isn't him going, "Okay, all of you is just okay. You're good." Like he is wanting to come and he's wanting to to transform you to be like him. But but all along the way, he's, he's intimately relating with you. He's not scared to be a part of your life. He wants to be a part of your life. And he, and he wants you to, to, to let him be a part of your life. In, in the end, end of Hebrews, um, it says that, that we have a high priest. It says at, at the end of um, a sacrifice, they would, they would take um, part of the sacrifice outside of the camp. And it says that Jesus himself, in verses 12, it says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. So he's suffering outside and apart. But then then there's this call it makes to the church, and it says, So let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. And so what does this look like for us to be a church that Jesus who identifies with us, now we identify with that Savior? And what what does that really mean for us? To identify with that Savior, not a Savior who is just constantly trying to attract people because of beauty of appearance. And, and this is going to be really hard for us to, like, to work around because I know that's just the way we're geared. Um, what does it look like to join Jesus as, as not just an individual, but as a, as a church and join this Jesus who chose last place rather than the first place? Chose to share in weaknesses rather, just, rather than just what people are proud of. And I think if we start learning that as a church, all of a sudden, um, we won't be so scared of one another. Because the, the, um, what happens, and, and what, what we don't want to do, what, what happens is we come in 
to a place, and we are deeply, usually intimidated by the thought of, will I be accepted by these people? Will I be accepted by these people? Will, will I... And, and that really causes us, in a lot of ways, not to approach one another, right? To remain alone in isolation. And, and even at the Refuge Church, even in this church where I've heard a lot of people be like, I love it because I come in and people greet me and they're happy to see me. Um, but even there, a lot of times we can, um, we can come in with a lot of uncertainty. And I think what this allows us to do is lay aside those uncertainties in knowing that, that Jesus so loves you and is so deeply involved with your entire life, so, so deeply related with all of it, every single part of it, that there no longer needs to be fear. Fear of one another, fear of approaching God, it will cause in us this humility and courage that transforms our relationships here, transforms the way we interact with the rest of the world, makes us the people that are incredibly generous. Um, so this is my prayer. As we've looked at the incarnation of Jesus, where, where God didn't remain apart from us, but he came to be with us. But when he came, what did that mean? It didn't mean that he... He sat up as this Grecian god who is like this statue of, you know, what we would consider manliness. But but he was someone who, when he came, he became the least so we could share in all of his glory. Man, and I I just want to invite you guys into that. Um, This Savior... That when, when you are together, you will love without fear. Because God loves you fearlessly himself. Can we do that as a church? Yeah. Amen. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray for us, um, what I ask for you guys to do um, is, is not only um, just enjoy the thought of this Savior. Um, But think of how he's calling you to be a part of that. The Refuge Church is still growing. We're still kind of a baby church. And and we get to learn, we get to, in a lot of ways, decide how we're going to grow together. Um, Are we going to grow as a people that are available to one another? and welcoming to each other. And when people come in, they are sincerely loved because we identify um, with one another. And, and I want you just to ask, what does that mean? And, and I, don't, I don't completely know myself. You know, I think about this a lot because I know that there's been a lot of people who have come to the Refuge Church and and they still feel like, and maybe you feel this way too, they still feel like, um, like I don't know, there, there's a part of them that just have to keep hidden, um, that they can't be known in a certain way. And what happens then is that eventually they'll leave, right? Because it's just another place where 
they can't fully be with people. And they're, like, honestly, for me, there's like no greater tragedy in the world than people feeling like they can't be part of a church. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> I wish I had all, all answers, right? But I'm going to share some questions with you. Like, I don't know what it means for us as a church to grow and continue being better at loving people like Jesus loved and identified with people. Because um, I know I ask those questions for myself. Um, but I know if we, if we commit to do that as a church, to, to have this Savior, um, it will make us a people that, that I, think, I think people will be able to say, like, like there's a taste of heaven there. Because I don't, I don't have to like hide. But I know I can be known and, and loved. And, and in that love, I will be transformed to be in relationship with God and, and more like Him. So that is the message of Jesus' identification with you. Um, is that whoever you are, whoever I am, that God knows you completely. And, and He loves you completely. And He calls us then to really work at knowing one another honestly and honestly loving one another. Um, and that's just going to be a, a, an amazing experience, an experience that you're around people you want to grow old with. Um, and I want to invite you guys into that. I want to be a part of that with you. So let's pray and then, um, and then just worship this God who came and identified with us in this way. The Father... Your plan of salvation that we see in the Old Testament, you just saying, this is what's going to happen. And then, as we see Jesus come and, and be the Savior that we wouldn't ask for, I pray that that maybe for the first time without shame and, and courageously uh, we, can, we can look to you um, and just let you see that all places of our hearts um, I just pray for safety here I know that this can be very very scary But I ask that, that as we let you see us, that we won't, we won't run away from that. We won't even run away from each other. We'll be a people that will really say, um, say yes to you. A God who, whose appearance didn't immediately amaze us. <laughs> um, but a God who knew us and saved us. I pray with this, God, that we as a church will go out and just really enjoy that and enjoy that together. Um, for some of us, maybe who have lived timidly, uh, it will give us incredible courage to share life with one another. Um, instead of being people who maybe sit on the outside and wait for someone else to approach us, that, that we would approach others who maybe feel like outsiders and welcome them in. 
because that's what you did to us. God, I'm so amazed by you. I'm amazed by the way you love me. Um, that you, you are God and, and you had, it seems like nothing to gain by identifying with us. But you did and that just shows how wildly amazing your love is. God, just create in our hearts now worship. I love you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.